This episode of You Talking to Me was recorded a few weeks ago at the height of lockdown. Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We're two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox. And I'm Reform. And this is a chat show that recreates that sensation of finding yourself on a miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. You may not know everyone when you first sit down, but by the time you're up dancing to Havanagilla, you already have a long list of friends in common. Each week, we'll bring you two of our favourite funny Jews to chat about their lives, their experiences growing up, and how Jewishness plays a part. On Yom Kippur, are they fasting or fast out? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. So, Rachel, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Uh, I think it's definitely dropping my mobile phone in a pot of chicken soup. Like, that is a seriously Jewish kitchen accident. Yes, that that is uh, pretty Jewish. And I guess also going online immediately to tell people on social media was also pretty Jewish. The public wants to know. I have to say, I think probably an even more Jewish aspect was that somebody asked me if I'd still be able to use my phone while I was eating milky foods, but I didn't reply to their message because I was too busy Googling whether I can still eat the rice that I'm drying it out in. What about you, Philip? Anything particularly Jewish happened to you this week? I organised a Jewish gig this week and I did it on Shavuot. Well, like Shavuot, the actual day of the giving of the Torah. The actual day of the giving of the Torah. And I did it not because I knew it was Shavuot, but because I forgot it was Shavuot. The Jewish thing I think I did after that was instead of just cancelling the gig or um, making up some excuse, I, I just pretended that I'd meant to do that all along. And this would just be one of those Tikkun Lel Shavuot events where we come together and we laugh and have a bit of entertainment. No one's going to fall for that, Philip. Well... We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but this isn't all about us, so let's introduce our guests. So first of all, we have stand-up comic and topical joke writer for TV and radio, Juliet Myers. Hello. Hello, Juliet. How are you? I'm very well. Well, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Excellent. Good. And we have comedian, actor, and improviser Ben Vanderveld. Good evening, my friends. Hi, Ben. Grand, thank you. Good, good. Uh, well, welcome to the show, both of you. We are living in difficult times, so we always like to begin by asking our guests, "What's the matter, Bubbler?" So, Ben, what's been bothering you? What specifically has been bothering me is the cinematographic atrocity that is Happy Feet. My 22-month-old child is obsessed with penguins, and so we thought it would be a good idea to put on Happy Feet, a film that I've never seen before this month. And it truly is a thing of horror. I didn't realise that animated penguins could occupy the uncanny valley, where they're both not a penguin, not a human, and wholly disgusting. And it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know whether it wants to be a weird box office musical, or it wants to be some weird film about penguin religion, or about the way humans are killing the planet, or about talking penguins, or about dancing. It is, and I say this unreservedly, one of the worst pieces of film I have ever witnessed in my life. And I've watched Save the Last Dance too. <laughs> so yeah, I feel that the thing that's really got to me this week and during lockdown has not been cabin fever, has not been our lying two-faced government. It has been the worst penguin-based film to come out of Hollywood ever. I love the idea of a penguin religion. How do you think they would practice? Clearly, you've got no trouble getting a minion because, uh, God, there's hundreds of thousands of them. But because they're, they're all there sort of like uh, davening under the aurora borealis. 
And there's this whole thing about, oh, if we don't pray together as penguins and the lights might not come back. I don't understand how that can be in the movie. And then you can also have them doing zipping doodah. When you say you think it's the worst Hollywood movie with yes. penguins, is there a good Hollywood movie? Well, penguins? to be fair, it's Madagascar, isn't it? No, I'll tell you, no, Batman Returns. Batman Returns. Batman Down Returns. To the, I mean, his greatest role ever. I'm going to throw Mary Poppins into the mix as well for I... a penguin sequence. I've never seen Mary Poppins. Poppins. What? Hang on a minute. This podcast is over while we discuss that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I don't I know how to feel. Um, I, look, I, I saw bed knobs and broomsticks. I didn't think it was up to much, and I, you know, I just don't feel that I can now trust your review of Happy Feet, <laughs> <laughs> Juliet. Uh, what's been making you quetch this week? What's actually making me quetch more than anything? You may even be able to hear a tiny bit, which is that my flat backs onto where a load of students live, and all I can hear the whole time is them killing themselves with laughter at something and I want to know what but also just annoyed by them really uh, their music that I hate that ma it makes me feel old that I hate them I did go around and complain a few months before lockdown the only way I can describe it is a few years ago I had a mouse in my flat and I cornered it and I was ready to kill it and then I saw its sweet young terrified face <laughs> and that's what these students look like when they open the door to me and I said do you know how loud you are and I realized that a one of them called me madam <laughs> I never felt so old I was like what do you mean and I kind of had to come home and see if I looked like Mrs Mangle from Neighbours in the mirror the whole thing just made me feel really awful um, but they're still being noisy so it's making me quetch that sounds sounds very reasonable in fact what happened to the mouse oh i knew you were going to ask that <laughs> so, so what else did you well to be fair i'm not entirely sure because having spent hours trying to corner it it was so terrified and looked just like these students in terms of so terrified i didn't kill the students oh um, my okay. goodness to be fair let's, let's, let's leave it there let's leave it at that <laughs> i didn't kill the mouse i let the mouse go but then a few weeks later i got the council in to leave poison so i have a nasty feeling <laughs> I killed the mouse indirectly, um, but I did try everything. I tried humane traps with chocolate, and I even bought fair trade chocolate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. That's very sweet of you. We had we had, when I was at the Edinburgh Festival for the first second time, we had a mouse problem, and we we found a mouse. We trapped it under um, like a mug, like you would a spider in the bath, and then slid a postcard underneath. And I was the one who was voted to take the mouse downstairs and deposit it on the. Street humanely and clearly either the trapping of it had hurt it or it was already an old and infirm mouse and by the time I got it downstairs the mouse was semi-conscious at best and uh, as I opened the mug and put the postcard down the mouse's comatose body just slid onto the pavement so that's all that the people of Edinburgh saw was just a man open a door and slowly release a dead mouse from a mug onto Edinburgh floor and then go back inside which is all the people of Edinburgh are going to see this summer as well yeah <laughs> you know what if you'd put a hat down you could have called it some kind of experimental theatre and you'd have made good money I would have done yeah. Perhaps the mouse was playing dead. <laughs> Five stars, the Scotsman. <laughs> 
wouldn't be a proper Jewish mother if I didn't ask, have you eaten yet? So we wanted to know if you have any particular Jewish food memories, maybe a significant meal or a specific thing some of your family members used to make, something like that. Julia? Full disclosure here, we, d- we didn't eat that much Jewish food at home. The only two things we, we seem to have quite regularly were we had these sausages that my mum insisted on buying that were Hebrew national sausages that she'd have to travel miles to get. I knew that my early comedy career was secure because I remember saying, ha, have they got a little bit cut off them? (laughs) (laughs) My dad was Iraqi Jewish and my main food memory is uh, I, I didn't go to a Jewish school. I didn't have Jewish friends. And I had this incident when I was about 10 and my friends came round and uh, my dad was cooking something called hamim eggs or hameen eggs, where he pressure cooked an egg for five hours uh, (laughs) till it went brown. Worse than brown, really, because sort of brown, but sort of marbly. And I had had them before and didn't mind them, but knew they looked disgusting. But my friends were over. Glenda McHugh was over, who always just had potato. And he said, do your friends want to try hammy eggs? And no, they certainly didn't. And I was then known at school because they knew I was Jewish as brown eggs, no ham. (laughs) 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 From the Dr. Seuss thing. It's quite weird because we didn't have them very often and actually I've only had them a few times as an adult and I do really like them but they do look disgusting to someone that's never seen them before so that's my main Jewish memory of food. People put it in their chalent which is like a stew that you cook for 25 hours and people would put an egg right in the middle of that and it would go kind of all brown and marbly. That's very traditional hamin eggs I mean all that stuff that's very Sephardi. Fascinating story particularly like the bit about the Hebrew national sausages. Ben what about you an important Jewish food related moment you care to share? Um, It's just challah that's just what it comes down to. Colour is my fuel source, my first great love, my last great love. And when I was a teenager, it was essentially currency that I could bribe my friends with because I was the only Jewish member of our friend group. And I also chose not to learn to drive when I was a teenager. So I would blag lifts for my mates by just offering them challah when they got back to my place. Sort of like the Henko Cafe guy, when I come back to my place for challah. Um, <laughs> My other memory of it was when I first moved to London, I lived in Golders Green, which very much enthused my parents that I was going to become a better Jewish boy. And it wasn't. It's because the houses were a decent price and I was within spitting distance of Carmelis. Let me, let me tell you, as a, a professional level stoner in his 20s, having that amount of munchies on tap. <laughs> yes, please. Um, but my favourite thing about Carmelis was how on a Saturday night it would be a social hub. And I used to come back from clubbing at one, two in the morning and take my mates into Carmelis. And my favourite thing was the Mexican standoff between an acting student whose eyeballs were revolving in different directions <laughs> and a chossid wearing a cling film around a trimal trying to get into a particularly difficult bagel sandwich. Just those two, so it was a beautiful juxtaposition. Oh, little tip, I'm sure people have done this before, but if you really want to get good value out of challah from Carmelis, get one of the mega challahs, chop it in two, take out the insides, fill it with soup, eat the soup with the challah that you've just taken out. 
it is absolute food of the gods. I actually have a very significant challah and bagel-related memory that I might share now. Normally, we get our challahs from a bakery called Daniel's. On a particular occasion, my husband actually went to a different bakery. And exactly how Ben talks about it, like the ambrosia of my week is that moment where you bite into delicious, it's like a brioche of gorgeousness and your soup's waiting like everything about it is really iconic moment of my week and on this occasion we sat there there was our color glistening and brown and delicious and my husband cuts into it passes us all a slice we put it in our mouths our color was made of bagel was made of bagel it was a bagel i've not been funny this happened 11 years ago and i am not even one tiny bit over it just because those people knew that they could didn't mean that they should, to quote Rabbi Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> um, that I mean, is, it's appalling, isn't it? It really is. It's it's like it's like that. You know, if you've ever been, if you ever eaten those posh restaurants where you think that what you're being served is, I don't know, slurry and roadkill, but it's actually um, a beautifully made steak in disguise. Oh, I'm so sorry that you went through that deeply scarring I mean, it's experience. A, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Yeah. I was shouting about it. I could not. I mean, as you can sense, I did not shut up about it then. And I've brought it up numerous times since. I feel bad because I have never had a bagel I truly love. Really? I mean, you wouldn't have loved this one either because it was no. a challah made oh, of bagel. No. Well, exactly. But can a bagel ever be as good as a challah? Never. Yes. No. Cinnamon and raisin bagels. Oh, no. See, no, no, this is the sort of Talmudic discussion that would have kept me focused at Cheda. If we were just, it, we, just <laughs> we basically turned this into the great Jewish bake-off. <laughs> <laughs> Every Jewish family has arguments and grudges. Perhaps there's a, a broigus that's been going on for so long that the current generation don't even know the origin of the story and why they've fallen out with their cousins they've never met. With my wife's family, it's bagel or bagel. You see, I pronounce it bagel and they pronounce it incorrectly. So <laughs> what we want to know from you is if there are any broiguses in your families. Would you like to share um, with the group? Firstly, Bruggesim. Secondly, this is not going to go to a happy place. I've got a memory from when I was six or seven years old of seeing a picture of my dad on uh, the back of the Financial Times. Sorry, when I say the back of the Financial Times, that makes it sound like he was in the sporting pages. No, the front of the Financial Times, wearing a tan jacket, looking rather sombre and outside. And I asked my parents about it when he was a bit older. And mum was like, oh, yeah, your dad was at a funeral. Oh, whose funeral was it? We don't really talk about him. And it was cousin Ian, who was an arms dealer and sold arms to the Libyans and clearly sold them to the wrong Libyans and ended up not very alive in the Mojave Desert in the back of a car. So my family's Bruegus is with Colonel Gaddafi. Um, <laughs> beat that. Did you ever find out more? Like, with were you going to inherit the business? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you think those are board games behind me. It's actually ammunition boxes. <laughs> That's an impressive Brogus to have. And quite a scary one as well to mention on a show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what about Juliet? Uh, we don't want to pry oh. too deeply. Anything tearing your family apart? Well, I feel I need to go big now. <laughs> go big or go home. We, I feel like I seem to come from this Jewish family where... 
there were loads of little broigasses or broigasim or whatever it is. But all that seemed to happen, there were so many things unmentioned that it was just a, a rapid exchange of glances and not understanding what on earth had happened. And I don't know if this counts as a broigas. One of the biggest ones always seemed to be my mother's hair colour, that my grandmother and aunt, we'd go round there every Sunday to say hello. And uh, my grandmother, as far as I could tell, would say, I think your hair looks great. And then on the way home, my mum would say, did you hear how she insulted me? (laughs) (laughs) And I never understood this at all. But everything felt like it was, things would be brought up and then they'd just hang in the air. My brother's lack of mitzvah. I I had my own little broigus, which was my grandmother had these sort of enormous brothers who were like massive units like my grandmother was a big unit as well and she had these sort of grand old men who were her brothers who'd smoke pipes and seemed to be about eight foot tall and one of them once said about me in front of me oh you can tell she goes to a local school and I remember saying what does that mean and and everyone just went doesn't mean anything doesn't mean anything um I feel like I can't compete with Ben (laughs) (laughs) do you think you would have had a better chance of competing if you went to a slightly further away school (laughs) maybe I would it's so weird because I still want to say to him I don't understand what you mean I don't understand what you mean. And my mum, actually, not being the most subtle of people, said, um, oh, it's because you speak with a slight London accent. And that just made me go, and what does that mean? There were loads of relatives that we never met because I don't think my mum's family really liked my dad. And they'd often talk to him really slowly because mm. he grew up in India and he was Iraqi. And so, in fact, one of these, the guy who said, oh, you can tell she goes to a local school, did actually used to talk to my dad and go, and how are you, Joe? Are you working? <laughs> my would go, my first language is English, actually. But that was my mum's family, all these little undercurrents. And then yeah. my dad's family, whether it's because they were Middle Eastern, were a lot more shouty and accusy. <laughs> and maybe that was easier, come to think about it. Speaking of families, we all know that the Jewish press love a celebrity connection. So we've adopted and adapted a famous expression, six degrees of can't eat bacon. Juliet, have you got any weird personal connections? If you went on, who do you think they are? What would they find out? Are you married to your famous cousin or something? That would be fascinating because I'd find out that I was married. (laughs) Um, So that'd be great. Not that I want to be particularly. I found out recently that I was... Uh, related to someone who I still can't fully remember the name of. I want to say Samson Raphael Hirsch. Um, Wow, that's a mega one. I'm pretty certain he was a kosher ninja turtle. (laughs) (laughs) What would make me really happy? Because on my mum's side, I, I think what tended to also happen during these silent glances was that people would tell us things when we were tiny kids and we weren't interested and then they'd get dropped so this guy it was only recently when another distant relative of ours said look I'm tracing my family tree and uh, I'm going to go to Germany to to find this guy's grave he was my grandmother's great-grandfather apparently he was a big deal I, I don't know much about him Uh, The person I'm proudest of is when I was about 10 for one Christmas, we watched the telly 
and we watched King of Comedy and my aunt said, oh, Heather's son has written this film. It was all about stand-up comedy and I loved it and thought it was amazing. But I think my aunt and my grandmother just found it a bit vulgar or boring. And my aunt said, this is awful, isn't it? And they'd just been watching it out of courtesy to Heather was some distant relative and so they didn't like it and turned it off and I remember thinking oh I like that that was my first view of stand-up comedy and look what happened all those years later and here you are on this on this exactly (laughs) Samson Raphael Hirsch is like a a really really big deal uh, because he was the guy who came up with the idea that Jewish people can come out and be like part of the rest of the world and get like normal jobs Ben so who's the most famous Jew that you're related or personally connected to All I've got is my grandpa, Jack, who grew up in South Africa on an ostrich farm, moved to London in the 20s, and then for his living was a dentist to the stars. But they were the stars of the 1920s and 30s in theatre and film. So I don't really know any of their names. The only connection that my family has to the glittering world of showbiz before I turned up is my step-granddad shoving his uh, hands into famous people's gobs to make sure that their teeth were all shiny and white. I really like that, the idea that he was the dentist of these amazing stars, but the current generational response to that is... I've never heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, if they saw a picture of their teeth, they would recognise them. And how lovely that the ostriches took him in to raise him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're a, they're, a, they're a very liberal culture, the uh, ostriches. We all have that, that one relative who wanted us to perform at every 90th birthday party. I did it for my grandma once. So I think she was only 60 at the time. For some reason, I offered to give a piano recital, forgetting the only thing I knew how to play confidently on the piano was the national anthem. Uh, yeah, don't ask me why. This isn't about me. But in this section of the show, we want to know what skill you could break out in case of an entertainment emergency. Juliet, can you drink from a cup backwards or speak Icelandic? What, what's your party trick? Do you know what? I, I don't think I can do anything, really, if they went, oh, my God, quick entertain the people if, if we're not allowed to use stand-up um i can teach people how to swear in spanish um, and i can swim underwater for a long time but i don't know how to do that at a party unless i'm just going to put my head in the sink they're going to find me or something i mean just to be clear i should have clarified at this point we are not saying you couldn't get up and tell jokes at this party but it was this if you had a, a, a secondary party it trip it would be good if there was something else i can get dry drunk on one glass of wine so it could be a kind of awful let's see what happens if we give Juliet two gin and tonics <laughs> um, that would be entertaining for everyone else but also at a family party it would be a survival <laughs> tactic for you yes so, oh yes uh, all right so how about Ben do you juggle tins of tuna or practice Mongolian throat singing <laughs> what are you a maven of I only practice Mongolian throat singing when I step on some upturned Lego that my toddler has left out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was when I was in my early twenties, I did try and learn various circus skills, uh, and then I decided rather than commit to that, I just developed my own personality. But if you had <laughs> the correct equipment, if you had me a fire staff with wicks at either end. I could do things that looked impressive, but were actually really easy. Similar to Juliet, I'm like, my skills are corralling a room full of 200 people into thinking that I'm vaguely interesting for 20 minutes. But that was a, a, a skill that doesn't really translate much into the real world. I mean, I, I hate it when people go, oh, you're funny. 
I hate it when my extended family asks me to tell them a joke. Like I've got a decent cachet of old Jewish jokes, but they, my my extended family, is very good at going do do one of your skits, do one of your uh-huh. um, yeah yeah. Like I like I love I love my dad deeply, but he is able to pull the fun out of anything. He refers to my stand up as my skits or my script, and a party, any party, up to and including my own wedding. He referred to as a function. <laughs> I think dads are like that. My dad once introduced me to somebody as, this is my son, the budding actor. And this was many years after I'd graduated from drama school with a qualification as an actor. I'd worked, I'd been on TV, I'd been in the West End, I'd done a tour. So I wasn't just a budding, I was making a living as a temp, but still, I was, I was an actor. <laughs> uh, but it, it, I think families or civilians don't really get the the phrasing. So lo- I love it that your family call it a skit. My family would introduce me as, this is Rachel, her brother's a doctor. We wanted this show to be about Jewishness. So uh, no wrong answers here, it's a safe space. Ben, what is the most Jewish thing about you? Overthinking, I suspect. <laughs> He's, he says overthinking that answer that he's just given. But, but yeah, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a very Jewy Jew at all. Uh, in terms of my religiosity or even my look, I don't think. Before I grew a beard, like with a big curly hair, I sort of looked like an uh, over-exuberant Cypriot rather than a Jew. I, uh, you can just imagine me getting very demonstrative about Kalumi. But <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's it's either overthinking or my deep-seated um, addiction to challah. And Juliet, what would you say defines your Jewishness? What is the most Jewish thing about you? I have absolutely no idea my hair i'm guessing i feel like as someone that didn't really grow up surrounded by many jews and because my mum was ashkenazi my dad was sephardic that seemed to cause us me and my brother to have no religion at all and so we didn't celebrate anything jewish it's funny when someone mentioned Halla because i thought oh yeah 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 and uh, I used to love having Haller at my grandmother's, but it wasn't until I went to university and someone said Haller was a Jewish thing that I made that connection. But I am clearly very Jewish to those people that walk around with their ladybird book of Jewish spotting or whatever it would be called, because people often say to me, you're Jewish, aren't you, before I've even mentioned it. I got a dog a few years ago and someone said to me, do Jews like dogs? I didn't know that. Mm. And I get a lot of those comments. I do identify as Jewish in terms of racially. I'm not religious. I'm a very un-Jewy Jew. But what I notice is non-Jews are obsessed with identifying me as Jewish. The only time I feel Jewish, properly Jewish, is when I'm with other Jewish people, because otherwise I feel people are slightly misattuned to it. And, and try and impress me by dropping the word schlep into a sentence but usually uh-huh. it's a bit wrong or, or saying chutzpah as someone said the other day. <laughs> um, and, and it's very sweet to them that they're clearly trying to say, ah, my, my sister's boyfriend's Jewish or something, but I find it a bit odd. It's only when I'm with other Jewish people that I go, I remember that with Hello and all of that. I find it quite bizarre sometimes when I'm doing a gig and I talk about being Jewish on stage and I say to the audience, are there any Jews in the room? And there's silence, which is fine because depending where you are in the country, there maybe aren't that many. And then someone will come up to you after the show and say, I'm Jewish, but I thought it would ruin your set if I admitted that. So I just, I stayed quiet. 
And I find that really interesting that people mm. worry about my reaction to finding out they're Jewish as if it's going to rain on my parade to find I have an ally in the room. You mean like you're the only Jew in the village? Yeah. And then they're really proud that, that I'm not, but not proud enough to show solidarity publicly. <laughs> I had, I had the opposite once. I did a gig in Bristol and I made a very generic, perfectly accessible joke. I think following the misconception that we might have killed Jesus. They're not uh, suggesting we killed Jesus in Bristol. <laughs> no. Uh, but then afterwards, this guy came up to me and he said, oh, it didn't, didn't get much of a reaction, Matt, because we don't have Jews in Bristol. And I said, so what does that mean? And he said, so we wouldn't understand what you were talking about. And it just seemed like, I mean, A, they do have Jews in Bristol, but also, you know, we don't have tractors in Hammersmith, but, you know, we're aware of work. Well, that's almost the end of the show. But Ben, Juliet, how can our lovely viewers and listeners find you and know what you're doing if you don't call, you don't write? So this is your chance to plug anything you've got going on. We'd originally allocated 20 seconds each, but for you, 30. Juliet. I'm not doing any live performing apart from the occasional Zoom gig, but I'd love it if people could follow me on Twitter, which is at Juliet Myers. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel and be perhaps the fifth subscriber, but I am going to post some of my stand-up on there. That's it, really. Twitter and YouTube. Ben? If you enjoyed uh, my voice and my nattering, you can listen to my podcast, Worst Foot Forward, which is an encyclopedia of heroic failure. It's available on Spotify, iTunes, and all the usual pod places. Well, I've absolutely loved this. It's been brilliant fun. And from now on, I'm always going to think of Ben as the grandson of an ostrich farmer who has never seen Mary Poppins and Juliet as brown eggs, no ham. And as my grandmother used to say when she wanted to end my telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing as we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, Ben Vanderbilt and Juliet Myers. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Rachel Krieger. And me, Philip Simon. And it was produced by Russell Bolkins. I'm still annoyed about the bagel, Holland.